This is the Bible Book Club. And we're in Deuteronomy. Welcome Welcome to to the club. Last time on chapters 29 and 30, we completed Moses's third sermon to the new generation. His hope is that they'll choose God and renew the covenant as a nation and also individually in their hearts. Yet... He fears that they won't, and he warns them about what's going to happen if they reject the covenant. He passionately commands them to choose God. Moses encourages them that it is possible, it's within their reach, they can do it, but they just have to do it. And finally, Moses sets the choice before them with heaven as his witness. The ball is in their court. They have to choose life or death blessings or curses. Moses has made his case, and the only wise choice is to choose life so that they and their children may live in the promised land forever. Mm-hmm. Well, not right. forever, not but per- further yeah. lives. Hopefully. All right, here's the setup for this episode. With the completion of Moses's third sermon, there are just four chapters left in the Torah, in this book of Deuteronomy, and in the life of Moses. In chapter 31, it is time to return to the narrative of this amazing man's life. A narrative that we left way back at the beginning of this book in chapter three. Remember, in the first three chapters, the Israelites had just arrived at Moab and Moses began to remind them of their journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea to then the wilderness, to Moab. Moses ended chapter three with the news that he will die in Moab and that Joshua is to succeed him. And that's where we're going to pick up. Chapters one through three and 31 through 34 are the narrative bookending the heart of Deuteronomy chapters four through 30, which are those three big sermons about obedience and choosing God that Heather just reminded us of. So we're going back to the story, back to, hey, we're at Moab and Moses is about to die. These remaining four chapters complete the narrative of his life. Now that Moses has given every instruction on the law possible, what is left for Moses to do? How will he die? When we pick up in chapter 31, Moses takes his first step down by relinquishing leadership. Step one, Moses commissions Joshua to lead Israel, starting in chapter 31. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old. I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Shihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded to you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with his people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Joshua was commanded 
to be strong and courageous. And that's because they are going into a totally different season, the the Israelites. Moses and Joshua are totally different leaders facing very different battles. Moses had to be steadfast and patient because he faced a mental battle with the fickle people of Israel. Joshua has to be strong and courageous because he faces a physical battle with the violent people of Canaan. Note, both battles, however, were spiritual. And perhaps that is a lesson for us. In whatever challenge God sets before us, we must remember it is our dependence on God and not on our mind or our might that is required to win the battle. No matter what your battle is in this life, you will need to be strong and courageous. Yeah, but I think it's a really good reminder to us the way you pointed that out. If your battle is a mental battle, you have to be steadfast and patient. If your battle is a physical battle, you need to be strong and courageous where God will meet you and he's also given you the tools. You just have to remember to use them in those moments. And that's call on it. him and trust in him. Yeah. Right. And that's what Moses and, jo- and um, Joshua are so good at. Yeah. So what is the source of courage? This is the first mention of the phrase, be strong and courageous. But it is repeated a lot more times. And it is a familiar saying even today. What we don't remember usually is what Moses and others said after they said, be strong and courageous. In the verse that Heather read, it It says, the Lord, your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why you can be strong and courageous. In verse eight, Moses said, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In verse 23, God's going to say, I myself will be with you. In Joshua 1, 9, it says, for the Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go. In 1 Chronicles 28, it says, for the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. When Moses commissioned Joshua, he knew Joshua would be afraid. The task of defeating the Canaanites was daunting. He had known this man, Joshua, since he was a boy. Moses wanted to reassure Joshua not to be afraid that no matter what emotion he felt in his heart, his head must remember the truth that God went with him and would never leave him. Just as Moses commissioned Joshua before ascending the mountain, Jesus commissioned us before ascending to heaven in what is called the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God promised us what he promised Joshua, that he is always with us to the very end of the age. With Joshua in place as the next leader, Moses transfers his life work in step two. Moses commissions the priests to teach the word of God, the law. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, starting in verse nine. 
So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years in the year for canceling debts during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing among you in your towns so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses commands the priests to publicly read the law every seven years. He places his life work, the very word of God that he has been writing for decades now, the keeping of which the future of all Israel depends on, into the hands of the Levitical priests. This would have been a deeply moving moment. You see, there are Levites and there are Levitical priests. The Levitical priests are from the tribe of Levi, but also they are the descendants of a specific family in that tribe, Moses's family through his brother Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. Aaron had four sons, two of whom died tragically because they disobeyed God while serving in the tabernacle at the time. Being a priest was a dangerous business if you didn't do it exactly right. In the book of Numbers chapter 3, Eleazar, Aaron's third son, became the chief leader of the Levites. In Numbers 20, on top of Mount Hor, Moses removed the garments of the high priest from his brother Aaron and put them on Eleazar. Then Aaron died on top of Mount Hor in the presence of his brother Moses and son Eleazar. And now Moses is placing this precious law on which the lives of all Israel depend into the hands of this same Eleazar. Aaron's son, Moses's nephew. Did Moses see his faithful brother's face in the face of his son, Eleazar? Did he miss Aaron? Did Moses long to leave this world and be reunited with Aaron, the brother that had stood by his side for a few months short of the entire 120 years of his life? Or was he afraid to leave this world because he was worried about Joshua? because he was worried that Eleazar would not be faithful. Was it hard to let go of the word or was he relieved to give up this sacred responsibility to a much younger man? What was Moses thinking? Now, Eleazar was commanded to publicly read the word of God every seven years. I am going to confess that I have been a little, probably more than a little sentimental saying goodbye to Moses because I've been working on these last four chapters. So humor me. I get up at five o'clock in the dark and Moses has met me now for almost two years straight. We have been in the Torah. We started this podcast in, in an April and we, and we're now, we're almost at April again at the time of this recording. So two years 
The words of Moses have been my constant companion every morning before I go to work. When I read this command to read the word publicly, I wanted to cry because Heather reads every word of the word publicly in every single episode of this podcast. The fact that you are hearing the word of God every week is more important than anything I come up with to discuss. And if you've been listening since the beginning of the podcast, you have heard every word of God spoken through his chosen servant, Moses. That thought made me feel more connected to Moses than I ever had, because we are keeping this tradition commanded by God and given to Moses to read the word aloud publicly. Well, reading the Torah was important then. Reading the word of God is just as important now. For faith comes from knowing the word, says Paul in Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And to know the word is to know Jesus, says John in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you know I love that verse because it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that means Jesus was with God way back in the creation of the world in Genesis 1-1. So that's John 1-1, which parallels Genesis 1-1. But what we just read means that faith comes from knowing the word. And to know the word is to know Jesus because Jesus is the word. For the first five books of the Bible, the word of God, Moses has been making a case for the Israelites to choose God and choose life. Paul and John want the same as Moses. They want us to choose God and choose life by choosing Jesus, who was with God in the beginning before a word of the Torah was ever written. He, Jesus, the word with capital W, was with God. Through him, all things were made and in him was life. Like the Israelites, we must choose from the Torah or law to the word of Christ Both mean life, but thankfully for us, following Christ is easier than following the law. All right. Moses has commissioned Joshua and Moses has given the word or the law into the hands of the priests and commissioned them. And now step three, God's going to commission Joshua. Back to Deuteronomy now in chapter 31, starting in verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. Then the Lord appeared at the tent and a pillar of cloud and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your ancestors and these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. And in that day, I will become angry with them and 
forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and calamities will come on them. And in that day, they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face in that day because of all their wickedness in turning to other gods. Poor Joshua. Well, and poor Moses too, because you just asked that (laughs) question, what was Moses thinking? And here, God is kind of like giving him a little bit to worry about. The big picture is, is not bad news in the end, but the story of Israel and the future of God's people is hard to hear at this time. We know it's going to end well. God is doing a little leadership coaching and change management with Moses and Joshua. These two men deserve to know what is in store for the nation they love. They need to have the right expectations to go the distance. How discouraging, though, this must have been. Moses must hear that despite all his work, Israel will make the same mistake of rebellion that led them to the 40 years in the wilderness. And Joshua is being commissioned to do a job that will fail, not because of the Canaanites he must battle, but because of the rebellious hearts of the very people he is fighting for. Continuing in verse 19. Now, write down this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that they may be a witness for me against them. When I've brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and calamities come on them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. So step four in the succession story from Moses to Joshua, God commands Moses to write down just one more thing, (laughs) a song. And this is the second tool Moses is going to give the Israelites to help remember to choose God. He actually has three because, you know, he had them make that pillar when he said when they crossed the Jordan to put up the stone with the commandments in them. And he has written down all the law and the commandments. Um, of the word to be read every seven years, because remember, they don't have books back then and nobody really could read. And now he's going to give them something that they all can remember. And that is a song that they can sing every day to their children and grandchildren. And do we not even today teach children in songs? It's a great tool. We have the ABCs and we have Jesus Loves Me and all the kids remember it. And so we know it works. Creating songs to teach was a practice that was happened a lot back then. We've we've had a, actually up until this point in the tour uh, several songs. Songs were often created as a way to boast of a victory or document history, such as the song of Moses in Exodus 15 about the defeat of Pharaoh when they crossed the Red Sea. Now, God is saying write down another song as they are about to cross another body of water that God is going to part like he did the Red Sea the Jordan River. And so this song is going to help them to remember how they got into the promised land. Verse 23, the Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun, be strong and courageous for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath and I myself will be with you. After Moses finished writing in a book, the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. 
if you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials so that I can speak these words in their hearing and call the heavens and earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death, you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I commanded you. In the days to come, disaster will fall on you because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. Heather's voice sounds so nice. I picture Moses more like, I know oh, how rebellious and stiff-necked nice. you right. are. <laughs> if you've been rebellious against the Lord while I'm alive, how much more after I die? Well, it's discouraging. You're, like you're going to become one so of those corrupt. guys listening, I'd be like, man. I know. Moses sounds angry about the big picture here. Bad, The big picture bad news he just got from God. And we can't blame him. We know the people tend to frustrate him to no end. But he's wrapping up his life. And he writes in the book for the last time, he writes this song. He hands it to the priests, telling them it will be a witness against the people. Kind of like, and I told you this would happen and you didn't listen. Then Moses tells them that they will become utterly corrupt after his death. Ouch. He's he's a little bitter, but we don't blame him. Now, here is the warning song of Moses, and it is a warning song to the people. It's something that is going to testify against them. They're all going to sing this song. They're going to know it. And when they fall away and they become aliens in another land, they're going to say, yep, well, we were warned because we all know that song. Verse 30. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Chapter 32, verses 1 through 4 in the song, Moses praises God. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Moses just praised God as the rock. And remember, the rock twice for Moses was what he struck or was supposed to command. He he struck it both times to bring forth water. So, and water, we all know in the New Testament has spiritual connotations. So listen to how the apostle Paul turns the rock of Moses into the rock of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. So Moses said that God was a rock. Paul was using the water they drank from the rock back in Moses' time as a metaphor for Christ, the spiritual rock today. All right, verses 5 through 14 in Moses' song, he's going to talk about how God is faithful, but his people are not. Verse 5, they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are warped and crooked generation. 
Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you your elders and they will explain it to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for his peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruit of the fields. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag, with curds and milk from herd and flock, and with fattened lambs and goats, with choice rams of Bashan and the finest kernels of wheat. You drank the foaming blood of the grape. God took care of Israel, and he's reminding them of that there, and delivered them from slavery to the promised land, even though they were unfaithful and rebelled against him. Verses 15 through 31 in the song talk about Israel's rebellion in the promised land, which will lead to God's rejection. Jeshurun, which is Israel, grew fat and kicked, filled with food. They became heavy and sleek. They abandoned the God who made them and rejected the rock, their savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to false gods, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. For a fire will be kindled by my wrath, one that burns down to the realm of the dead below. It will devour the earth and its harvest and set afire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap calamities on them and spend my arrows against them. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. I will send against them the fangs of the wild beasts, the venom of vipers that glide in the dust. In the street, the sword will make them childless. In their homes, terror will reign. The young men and young women will perish, the infants and those with gray hair. I said I would scatter them and erase their name from human memory, but I dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest the adversary misunderstand and say, our hand has triumphed. The Lord has not done all this. They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment in them. If only they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. How could one man chase a thousand or two put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not like our rock, as even our enemies concede. Okay, a lot of split commentaries on this, actually. It says they would become a nation without sense. This nation could be either the Israelites or their enemies. It could go both ways. And it says one man would chase a thousand. This could be a foreshadowing of what was to come, that Israel would 
will be overpowered by a few, even though they have many. Or it could be the reverse, that Israel will be victorious because God had provided the victory, even though they were outnumbered. Continuing in verses 32 through 43, Moses talks about how that though the evil persists, God will prevail. Moses foresees that Israel will become ripe with evil. Verse 32, their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are filled with poison and their clusters with bitterness. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge. I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. But God will prevail. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants. When he sees their strength is gone and no one is left slave or free, he will say, Now where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in? The gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. I lift my hand to heaven and solemnly swear as surely as I live forever. When I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood while my sword devours flesh. The blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, you nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for the land and people. Moses came with Joshua, son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. When Moses finished reciting all the words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. The theme of this song is familiar. It is be faithful or beware. It is a theme that Moses has been preaching since Exodus. The message is not a joyful one, like Moses's first song after the defeat of Pharaoh. This is a song of warning about what will happen if they are unfaithful. In the New Testament, Paul makes a similar statement to the Israelites of his generation. Starting in Romans 10.1, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And then in Romans 10.16, Paul continues, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. And then Paul quotes Isaiah 65, where God said, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. Paul, an Israelite himself, is acknowledging that the Israelites of Moses' time failed to have faith in God. 
And like them, many of the Israelites of Paul's time failed to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a warning to us to be faithful or beware. In the next episode, Moses has some final words, and it's not about what you think. It's not about obedience or anything like that. He actually has prophecy for each of the 13 tribes. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to susanme.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.